Well, please have your Bible open in Matthew chapter 12 as we seek to learn together some wonderful truths from the life and ministry and example of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Well, God has shown us remarkable mercy, hasn't he? And Jesus reminds us that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Well, we hit the pause button on our series in Matthew about a month ago to focus a little upon Easter as it was approaching then. Uh, We concluded chapter 11 with those famous, much-loved, often quoted words of Jesus from verse 28 to 30, that he came into this world to provide rest for sin-weary souls. And those sin-weary souls in his day had the added burden of being harangued by the Pharisees who insisted that only by fastidious keeping of a vast array of overwhelming rules and regulations, many of them man-made, found nowhere in the Bible, only then could anyone hope to please God. Jesus, Jesus came to set the burdened soul free and to set them free from that kind of tyranny as well, releasing us from the false notion that in our own strength we could ever live a life that pleased God. Sin has too strong a stranglehold on us for any of us to be able to live a life that pleases God. It's through Christ that you may have peace with God. It's through that work that he has done, his atoning work, as we've just been remembering at Easter, as we remember all the time as Christian people. It's because of his work that we can be redeemed and forgiven and be reconciled to God. You must go to Christ for rest and for peace. You will find it in him. You will not find that peace anywhere else. His lordship over your life, and he must be lord if he would be your saviour, it will be a lordship which is all of grace, a lordship which is all of loving kindness. And that which you need, he will provide. And very soon after Jesus had spoken those words at the end of chapter 11, uh, we read that at that time is how chapter 12 opens. And Jesus was provided with a situation which would enable him to draw a very clear contrast between the the life-sapping, the joy draining demands of the Pharisees and the liberating message of the gospel which he had come to preach and to make known. So we're going to consider three important lessons from this passage this morning. And the first is this, the error of believing that God is only interested in rule keeping. One of the biggest misconceptions which unbelievers have about the Christian faith is that it's all about keeping 
a big long list of things you cannot do. Do not, do not, do not. Now, of course, it is true that God has a spiritual, an, er- an ethical, a moral code of conduct that he expects us to live by. And the things that we would do in our natural sinful state, he forbids us to do many of those things. Of course he does, because they're sinful and they're immoral and they're abhorrent to him. We're considering those kinds of things in our Wednesday series at the moment. We're going through the Shorter Catechism and we're considering the practical meaning and application of the Ten Commandments, which of course is that wonderful summary of God's moral law for us and the spiritual rule that should be over our lives. But the misconception which lies in not understanding the new life that the Christian is raised to in Christ, not understanding that the Christian has been crucified and buried with Christ and then raised with him, as we looked at last Sunday evening, this misconception that lots of unbelievers have comes from not realising that where the unbeliever sees a list of do not do this and sees that that just seems to be a life of killjoy drudgery, The Christian is not constantly saying in his or her mind, I must not, I must not, I must not. The Christian surely rather is saying, why would I? Why would I? Why would I? Because everything about the Christian has changed. Now that we have something far better in Christ. Isn't that your testimony and witness? To be at rest and to be at peace in Christ is to be utterly transformed from the inside out. That's what the unbeliever cannot understand or comprehend. That that moral code of God, his law, that's now been engraved upon our hearts as his people. It's been internalised within us so that it's driving us from the inside out rather than being something external that you are striving to try and fulfill and to try and do it in your own strength. It's completely changed. And coupled to that is a proper understanding of what it is that God is most interested in, in you and for you as a Christian. What it is that most pleases him. And what are those things which ought to take priority in your life? You start to understand those things as a Christian. So we find Jesus out walking with his disciples, and it's on a Sabbath day, and they're walking through some grain fields, probably either wheat or barley. They were the two most common crops. Depending on which time of the year it was, one or the other would uh, be ready to eat, and the disciples, being hungry, do something which the Old Testament law permits them to do. You can find it in chapter 23 of Deuteronomy if you want to look it up. From the edge of the field, they are plucking some of the grain and it's a perfectly permissible thing for them to do so that they can eat as they're walking. 
And it seems that the Pharisees are watching not too far away. And they see it happen and they're onto it in a flash. See, see, look at you. You're doing work on the Sabbath, work that's not permitted. And you, Jesus, no doubt they're thinking, maybe they even said it to his face, you're doing nothing to stop them. Shame on you. They will take any and every opportunity to bring charges against him so that they can be rid of this man, Jesus, either have him thrown in prison or preferably have him killed so that he's done and dusted with for good. For the Pharisees, the Sabbath day had become nothing more than a long and overbearing checklist of rules and regulations. They had made legalism an art form. Rather than grasping the grand, God-fearing, God-honouring principles which lie behind the Sabbath day, that you can use it and you should use it to commune with God a God who you love with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The Sabbath for them had become a day simply for trying to rise to the challenge of keeping all the many pernickety subdivisions of regulations that they'd constructed for themselves over many years, which amongst other things defined plucking a head of grain as reaping rubbing it in your hands so that you can eat the grain, that is threshing, that is work, it is not permitted on the Lord's day. How dare you? Now, Jesus is not about to teach you that the Sabbath day is yours to do whatever you wish. He upholds the Sabbath day over and over again. But he's going to show you that there are foundational principles for living under God which are never to be swept aside or ignored because you think that there are other ways of showing yourself to be more spiritual. Because that was the Pharisees' problem. Even routines and activities which are normal and wise that might be godly things to do may sometimes have to be laid aside or interrupted. Because if you didn't interrupt those things, you would actually be avoiding a greater godly and Christ-like principle that in that moment needs to happen. The, the attitude of the Pharisees was rather like Old Testament Israel. We were, we were reminded uh, the other Wednesday about this um, by Terry Johnson. There were many occasions when God was in complete despair with Israel because although they were fulfilling all of the ceremonial law in their tabernacle worship, their hearts were a million miles away. Their daily lives were a million miles away from where they should have been living as God's people. They would go to the tabernacle and do all the right stuff, but their hearts were nowhere near God. And God had given them these laws and regulations for all manner of things, and they were meant to keep them. 
But there is something of even greater importance to God than that. The Pharisees had fallen into the error of believing that God, like them, was interested only in this rule-keeping. They could not have been more wrong. And Jesus continues to speak to them as he reveals to them, secondly, underlying principles that are not to be abandoned. And we see this in verses 3 to 8. Jesus is going to show them that with God, works of necessity, works of mercy are of great value and that rigid law-keeping was never intended to get in the way of works of necessity or mercy. There are basic underlying principles in a godly life which God does not expect you to abandon in order to keep some individual rule or regulation. And Jesus begins by referring them to an event which took place in the life of King David, but before he was actually the king, a thousand years earlier. You can find this event recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now let me just explain a bit of the background to this. In the Old Testament tabernacle, that of course was the place of worship for Israel in the days before they had a temple in Jerusalem. There was an inner part of the tabernacle where only the priests could go. Uh, and, and in that section of the tabernacle, they would administer worship on behalf of the people. And within that section of the tabernacle, there were, there were various items and objects that would be found that the priests would use in that worship to God. There was, for example, a, a large bowl for ceremonial washing so that they were clean in order to serve God, an acknowledgement of the contamination of sin. Uh, there was an altar where incense was burned. And amongst other things, there was a table. And it was called the table of showbread. Because on the table were 12 loaves of bread laid out in two rows of six. And those 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were symbolic. They symbolized the nation's fellowship with God. They symbolized that they received their bread from the Lord. It symbolized their consecration to him. It symbolized their indebtedness to him as their God. And every week on the Sabbath, the loaves were replaced with fresh ones. And the old loaves could be eaten by the priests. Now, during that time when Saul was still the king in Israel and was seeking to kill David, because Saul just saw David uh, as a rival and a threat, and Saul himself had gone, become rather unhinged, David and his men arrived at the tabernacle. And they were very hungry. They hadn't eaten for several days. And David asked one of the priests there, a man called Ahimelech, if they had any bread for David and his men. Now, Ahimelech, in his duty as the priest, had just recently replenished the 12 loaves on the table. 
So he'd put fresh ones in the place and the old loaves were available. But the rule is only the priests can eat that bread. And strictly speaking, that's what should have happened. But we discover and we find that Christ is endorsing it. David and Ahimelech understood that the need that David and his men were in was so great that the requirement that only the priests should eat the bread on this occasion could be bypassed. It would have been wrong to have bread available but to to withhold it from those men and to leave them to go hungry just to uphold that one rule. Now, there's an important thing to note here. This action was not setting a precedent so that in future everyone can ignore that rule and that rule no longer applies. No, it still ought to be restricted to the priests in normal circumstances. But at that specific time of need, it was perfectly permissible for Ahimelech to use the bread in that way, providing for their obvious need, fulfilling uh, with an act of necessity and with an, an act of mercy, the need that those men had is greater in God's eyes than simply rigid law-keeping. That's the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. And, verse 5, he says, while we're on the subject of priests, what do you make of this, Jesus puts to the Pharisees? What do you make of the fact that the fourth commandment requires us to do no work on the Sabbath? And yet for the priests, the Sabbath is their busiest day of the week. It's a pretty, bu- pretty busy day for church pastors too. They work on the Sabbath. When the fourth commandment says you must not, what do you make of that? He puts to the Pharisees. But you see, Jesus understands the proper worship of God as God had prescribed it for his Old Testament people required that the priests go about their duties on the Sabbath day. The proper keeping of the Sabbath for all the other people depends upon the priests doing their work in the tabernacle on the Sabbath. Otherwise, the worship cannot happen. So you see, Jesus is not teaching that such laws are wrong. He's not teaching that such laws should be abandoned. He's teaching that a rigid blinkered view of law-keeping, such as the Pharisees had, it is riddled with problems because it completely ignores other important principles which undergird the life of God's people. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting for a moment that we play fast and loose with the law of God. He's saying that a rigid legalism can actually result in you withholding kindness from people. A rigid legalism can actually cause you to withhold goodness and mercy from people when they need it. 
in a way that displeases God intensely. God does not expect that a faithful following of his law would result in acts of necessity or acts of mercy being withheld from people who are in genuine need. If you were a Christian firefighter and you got called out on a Sunday because someone's house is burning down, you don't just leave it burning till midnight just because it's Sunday. You go to their aid. I'll use Barry as an example. If Barry gets a call from a church member this afternoon because a pipe has burst and their house is flooding, he's not going to be put under church discipline because he didn't wait till tomorrow morning. No, go Barry, go and help them now. They're in great need. It's a work of necessity. It's a work of mercy. Yes, it's the Lord's day, but right now they need your help. As with most things, to a large degree, this boils down to a heart issue, doesn't it? The, the problem with the Pharisees was their, their sinful heart, their proud, selfish heart. The state of your heart before God and understanding God's heart towards us, which Christ is demonstrating and, and explaining here. Yes, he has laid down all kinds of things that he requires for our good, but not so that because of them we abandon basic principles of love and care and mercy like the Pharisees are doing. And that's the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. Of course, a big problem with the Pharisees is that they've added all kinds of rabbinical traditions to their rule book. It began with the law of God, but they've added all kinds of stuff. And they've put all of their rules on an equal footing with, or even greater than, the Word of God itself. And what is it that Jesus is saying in verse 6? He, of course, is referring to himself. What he's saying is this, right here in this grain field is one who is greater than the temple. And his point is simply this. If it's lawful for priests to work in the temple on the Sabbath, if I, who am greater than the temple, say that it's lawful for my disciples to eat of this grain in my presence on the Sabbath, then it is lawful for them to do it. And then Jesus quotes from Hosea, you Pharisees, God's not interested in your own supposed sacrifices of worship. All of these things that you do, which are your sacrifice of worship to God, God's not interested in that. What he wants to see in you is a heart of mercy that reflects God's own heart. That's of far greater significance because that is actually a sign of true spiritual life and health. To have a heart of mercy after God's own heart. The ceremonial, the rituals, must never be given a higher place 
than the basic attributes of love and mercy and grace. That's an abhorrent form of religion. That's a twisting and a distorting of God's truth and God's ways. And Jesus teaches again and again, the Sabbath is for man's good. The Sabbath is for your good. And so to use it as an excuse for withholding works of necessity, to use it as an excuse for withholding works of mercy, is a complete contradiction to the Sabbath. If you'd understood this, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you never would have condemned these men for something of which they're innocent. And and he makes this very strong statement, doesn't he, in in verse 8. A strong authoritative statement. As he perhaps is daring the Pharisees to contradict him or disagree with him. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now the Pharisees thought they were the lords over the Sabbath day with all of their rule keeping. No, 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 says Jesus. I am Lord of all, even over your beloved Sabbath day, which you are getting so very, very wrong. And Jesus is saying to them, if I see no guilt here, who are you to say that you do? It is is Christ, you see, who has the authority to bring to our hearts and minds a proper understanding, a proper interpretation, a proper application of the truths of God's word. That's what Jesus and later his apostles will do for us. Do you see how he's reinforcing his message at the end of the previous chapter? His yoke is easy. His yoke does not impose heavy, heavy burdens upon us. Now, as we think these things through for ourselves, it's quite clear, I think, isn't it, that a lot of wisdom and integrity is needed for us to safely navigate these waters as we seek to work these things out in practice for ourselves. Necessities. Well, of course, they need to be necessities which are real not invented, not convoluted for your own selfish purposes, not an excuse so that I don't have to go to church on Sunday. No, real necessity. Things that really can't wait. What about acts of mercy? Well, surely acts of mercy, again, are done either in response to genuine need, but also from a heart of genuine concern and loving kindness. And of course, the Lord of the Sabbath knows our hearts in all of these things. Now, it's been well said about the Pharisees that it was their rigid uh, legalism that was their problem. But for many Christians today, Their problem is being far too lax and far too liberal with the law of God. Taking license with the law of God where no such thing 
should be happening. A tendency to make light of the Lord's day. A tendency increasingly to make it even less than a whole day. I was amazed to hear just last night talking to someone who reckons from what he's heard, he lives in Northern Ireland, and from what he's heard, following on from all the disruption caused during COVID, about 90% of Presbyterian churches in Northern Ireland have completely abandoned their evening worship. And from what he can gather, have no intention of going back to evening worship. What's happened to the Lord's day? It's not the Lord's couple of hours, it's the Lord's day. It's the Sabbath day. Far too much This is where we need to be aware of pushing the pendulum far too much in the the wrong direction. Far too much in the way of personal likes and preferences and opinions can creep in if we're not exercising due diligence and uh, great integrity on these matters. Along with that, being far too swift and far too ready to cast aside, for example, things relating to Sunday, which on the surface may only appear to be tradition, but to actually be far too swift and far too ready to cast them aside without actually giving proper thought as to how and why those traditions actually were established in the first place. Because actually, if I just pause and think about it and look into it a little bit, I might discover that those traditions actually are thoroughly based upon the Bible and clearly serve a very, very important purpose if I would just stop and think about it. Of course, the opposite side of that coin is not to be worrying too much about those traditions which have no biblical foundation, which have no biblical warrant and which serve no obvious useful purpose whatsoever. And of course, none of these things actually are confined only to the Lord's Day or the Sabbath Day, but to every part of Christian living. So an important question needs to be asked is, is there any part of your Christian life, or is all of your Christian life, mere rule following? Is it just tradition? Well, it's it's just what I do. Jesus is showing us a far better way. And then the third and final thing that we learn here is Jesus brings to these Pharisees a direct challenge and a demonstration of goodness and shock horror. Yes, even on the Sabbath day. A demonstration of goodness, even on the Sabbath day. Now, it may well be that Jesus and his disciples were on their way to the synagogue in the first place. We're not told that that was the case. Maybe they were, but the synagogue is where they go. 
and you find that mentioned there in verse 9. They arrive at the local synagogue. And we might wonder to ourselves, what are the chances of a man with a withered hand being there? Is this God's sovereign providence? Has he been planted by the Pharisees in anticipation? Well, we don't actually know, and in many ways it doesn't really matter. Whichever may have been the case, the Lord of the Sabbath is not about to be outwitted by these charlatans, the Pharisees. They challenge Jesus to his face. They believe they have the moral high ground here, the spiritual high ground here. Just shows you how arrogant and haughty the human heart can be, even face to face with Christ himself. And so they challenge Jesus directly at the end of verse 10. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because they're, they're looking to find a way of accusing him of something that will make the charge stick so that they can be rid of him. What a desperate scene this is, as these men stand face to face with the Lord Most High, the Messiah who's come to deal with their sins, the one who's come to seek and save them because they're lost, the one who's come to give his life a ransom for sinners just like him, and yet they greet him only with venom and hatred and suspicion and seeking to produce a reason for them to accuse him of some great sin. Now, it's actually significant that this man's condition, though probably an awful affliction for him, terribly limiting for him, it's actually significant that he doesn't have some life-threatening disease. Even in the strictest school of the Pharisees, they did accept that, well, if someone's life is in danger, then it is okay to go to their aid, even on the Sabbath. Well, how good of them. But a withered hand? Well, that could wait till tomorrow morning, surely? A withered hand? Is it lawful to heal today? On the Sabbath? There's no compassion or mercy in their hearts whatsoever. That was crushed years ago. And Jesus answers them, as so frequently he does, with questions of his own. And two simple questions he brings to them. And there you are, you see the first, beginning in verse 11. What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls down into a pit on the Sabbath, will not do what you can to get it up out of the pit? Which of you would leave it there to suffer? And the presumption on our part here is that as Jesus asks this question publicly, it's readily understood and acknowledged by everyone who's listening that in such a situation, they would indeed go to the rescue of their sheep, even on the Sabbath day. They would not leave it in distress. Who wouldn't? Well, maybe the Pharisees wouldn't, but everyone else knows. Yeah, of course we would. Of course we'd rescue that sheep. And if the answer to the first question isn't obvious, the second question really is a no-brainer, isn't it? Even the Pharisees can't wriggle out of this one. Of how much more value then 
is a man or a woman over a sheep. Behold the master asker of questions. And now everyone's looking sheepish. Jesus has them over a barrel. They are furious, but they are helpless with the questions Jesus has put to them. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? Of course it is. Everyone knows it is. Stretch out your hand. That's all Jesus needs to say. Have you noticed? Jesus doesn't actually utter any words of command for healing. He doesn't have to. He has no need to say anything in order to heal this withered hand. His power and authority is absolute. And he has no need to in order to make it clear that he is the reason for the man's hand being healed. No explanation is required. As the man stretches out his hand and in the action of stretching out his hand, it is made whole and it's as good as the other one. Now most of you will know that the Bible has much more to say on the issue of the Lord's Day. But I've purposefully this morning just kept ourselves to these truths that this particular text brings to our attention. Because there's much that's helpful, isn't there here, in these few verses to instruct us and to guide us and to admonish us and to rebuke us. The Sabbath day, the Lord's day. It's been given to provide us the, the liberty the blessing to meet with the Lord's people in the place of praise and worship to our God. We read of both Christ and the apostles that every Sabbath day they would make their way to the local synagogue as was their custom because that is the right and good thing to do to go and be with the Lord's people, to praise and to worship, to pray, to re receive instruction from his word. What a blessed privilege that is. What a good thing that is that God has done for you and me in the Sabbath day, in the Lord's day. It provides us with the means of focusing heart and mind upon the Lord and the Lord's people for mutual edification and encouragement. It provides an opportunity to look out for the needs of others and where acts of necessity or mercy are appropriate to be able to do so in love and in grace in the Lord. It's a day for the giving and receiving of hospitality. It's a day to be used well for good and for God's glory. So let's do that today. 
do that every Lord's Day. To be with the Lord's people. To praise and worship our wonderful God. To pray, to receive instruction from the Word. To focus heart and mind and soul upon the living God. To do it with the Lord's people. To be seeking to edify and encourage one another in the things of Christ. To look out for the needs of others. Is there a a great need? So great, it really can't wait. Uh, And in Christ's name and in his love and grace, I need to go and meet that need for that person right now. Is Is there just... An act of kindness and mercy and grace that that I can do for this brother or sister in Christ. It's a day to be used well for good and to God's glory. Surely that's what Christ is teaching us here. So do it today. Do it every Lord's Day. Don't restrict it to the Lord's Day. Do it as often as you can. As we heed the instruction and follow the example of our Lord and our Saviour.